And these are all called the non-qualified mortgages. And basically, in a nutshell, it means these aren't necessarily going to be sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. These are loans where, you know, the rates don't drop very much. The hedge fund basically will want to have a certain yield on their portfolio and the secondary market folks at Caliber Home Loans would be able to figure out, okay, this is how we can get that yield. So this is how we're pricing out that loan. And so it's a chunk of money that goes out and they say, okay, based on this chunk of money that's going out, this is the yield that we want to get. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Stephen Hook, a mortgage loan originator with Caliber Home Loans. In this episode, Steve will go over some of the non-traditional loan programs that help serious real estate investors acquire more properties. If you're looking for more ways to obtain leverage without being confined to the traditional loan box from Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, then you need to listen to this episode. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Steve, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Great. So my name is Stephen Hook. I'm a mortgage loan originator with Caliber Home Loans based out of San Francisco. I've been doing this for 30 years. And what I do is I provide financing for borrowers that are in the box with uh, traditional you know, tax returns and credit scores and reserves and income to qualify, as well as those that might not fit the traditional lending box. Many times, you know, my referral partners are not only real estate agents, but also bankers themselves who you know, need help with their, uh, their clients. They can't get them from point A to point B for whatever reason it could be income, credit, or assets. So offer a wide variety of lending solutions. Cool. And can you talk about some of the challenges that some investors have when it comes to financing their properties? Yes. Yeah, so I've come across quite a few in the uh, over the years. You know, in the downturn, the 08 downturn, they removed a lot of these programs. It was very difficult for borrowers to get financing. They either, you know, had to provide their tax returns or they'd have to resort to just private money lenders, which, you know, typically only offer short-term financing solutions. So I'm not sure exactly when, but I would say, you know, maybe anywhere from, you know, five to six years ago, they started coming out with what are called non-qualified mortgages. And these are mortgages for borrowers that don't quite fit in the um, traditional guidelines. It could be, you know, those that, you know, say for an investment property, they owned too many investment properties or they owned them in an LLC and, you know, most traditional lenders won't lend on an LLC or, you know, maybe their tax returns showed losses. And even though the, the properties were, you know, collecting the rents, they couldn't get, you know, the traditional loans. 
So since that time, you know, many lenders have come out. Caliber has come out. Uh, they have a portfolio lending group. And what they can do is lend on rental properties and they can even, you know, lend in an LLC. There's exceptions being done every day. So while it might, something might not fit in the guidelines now, I usually tell people, hey, let me know. I can always put the request in and, you know, see if we can get an exception to that. So what would happen is, you know, the, there's the ability to repay and the ability to repay is, you know, it came out years ago, you know, after the downturn where they determined that, you know, people were just, you know, putting in any loan amount, I mean, any income amount on the loan application and they didn't qualify, you know, under traditional guidelines. So they had a stated income loan and they would just state the income. Well, there has to be a compromise and the compromise was we will allow you to state the income on your application or, you know, we could just not use any income at all. But we have to show that there's some sort of ability to repay. Can't just you know take your word for it. We have to use something. So for investment properties, what they'll do is they're going to look at the rents of that property, just the rents of that property, in order to qualify the borrower. So the borrower does not need to list their, their income on the application. They don't need to list their employment. What we need to do is just focus on you know, the debts that are on that property and what they're trying to refinance. So, for example, if the rents are, say, $5,000 a month and we calculate what the mortgage payment's going to be, you know, including property taxes and fire insurance, all on a monthly basis, as long as the mortgage payment, the taxes and insurance is covered by that $5,000 a month in rent, it should qualify. There's other programs out there where they might not even need to have the 5,000 to qualify. Those are programs that you know are out in the in, in the marketplace and they're available. You know, I can always help out clients. You know, requesting that if it doesn't you know fit through Caliber Home Loans. You know, as far as you know, if it's just an LLC, I do have lenders that do offer investment property loans to those borrowers that have you know properties in an LLC and that can provide the tax return. So they're going to get a, a lower interest rate. So for example. If it was an investment property, say a single family home, and they were looking for just a regular five-year fixed rate, you know, today's March 15th, I think the rates are probably going to be in the high threes and low fours. Contrast that with a borrower whose tax returns don't really show enough qualifying income, and they have to do one of those loans where they don't state their employment or don't state their income. The rates on a five-year fixed rate probably going to be, you know, in the mid fives, maybe even a little bit higher. So it is a higher interest rate, but at the same time, you're able to get the financing. And you know, private money lending rates are, you know, anywhere from I've seen some in the uh, the high sixes and low sevens, you know, all the way up to twelve percent. So depending on where the borrower is, it may make sense, you know, to have them, you know, call me and you know we can run numbers and you know see what they're qualified for and you know what the savings would be. Many times on these investment property loans, they are going to have a prepayment penalty. So if they were used to there not being a prepayment penalty before, there could be a prepayment penalty on the new loan. And again, this is just for investment properties. So I've seen some of the lenders have prepayment penalties of uh, 18 months. I've seen others that are sometimes out to three years. Yeah. And I've seen them on like a three, two, one schedule where like the first year, if you prepay, then you pay 3% of the loan amount. Uh, I guess that's a prepayment penalty and it tapers down as years go by. 
Yes, some are a fixed prepayment penalty and would be, for example, on the both the caliber home loans and you know with some of the outside resources we have, they'll do it based on 80% of the original loan balance and it'd be six months of interest based on that. So if you're running the calculation. But nonetheless, if you're planning on selling, you know, in the near future, it might not necessarily make sense to do the refinance with this, you know, with the prepayment penalties. It may make sense to, you know, use, you know, because I know you do private money lending. It may make sense to, you know, to stick with the private money loan or pay an extension fee to keep that rather than, you know, pay the points and fees, you know, to refinance. And then, you know, as it turns out, you end up paying a prepayment penalty on top of that. Many times that that'll be more expensive to go that route. Makes sense. And when you're talking about these like non-QM loans, are they typically for people who I would say don't have W-2 salaries? It's probably someone who has like a 1099 or they own their own business. Yeah, good question. So, you know, over the years and, you know, I've just started with Caliber about a year and a half ago. There are other lenders out there that offer these calibers and the only one. So over the years, what I've seen is borrowers, you know, walk into their bank and they had an investment property and they showed, so they're retired, they get uh, social security and pension income and, you know, they walk into their bank with their tax returns and they say, well, you know, we, you know, got all this equity in our rental property, you know, we'd like to take some equity out. And the banker looked at them and said, you know, you're never going to qualify for a mortgage loan, you know, unless you go back to work. And they said, well, we're retired. We're, you know, in our 70s, you know, what can we do? And I talked to them and I said, you know, there are loan options out there. You know, you're not going to get necessarily the, the regular mortgage rate. It's a little bit higher, but nonetheless, what do you want? And I said, they said, you're kidding. I said, no. And they sent me the application and they put their income on there. And I said, no, as I said before, we're not putting what you do for a living. You're retired. That's not going to be on there. You know, the income that you're receiving from, you know, pensions and social security, that's not going to be on there. So, you know, we're able to get that done without that. So even if they're, you know, whether they're W-2'd or retired, again, just focusing on their property itself. Mm-hmm. I know you guys probably don't delve deep into this, but do you want to talk a little bit about reverse mortgages and how people are able to get loans, even though they don't have an income, but they are taking money out of their equity of the property? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I just got off the phone with one of my real estate agents about an hour ago, an hour and a half ago. And she had a second client she referred to me that needed reverse mortgage because Caliber Home Loans does FHA lending. They do reverse mortgages. Now, I personally don't do them. I've spoken on them in the past. And they're, you know, it's not a one size fits all. In general, when I spoke about reverse mortgages, they can be a great option. It depends on the borrower's situation. You know, how are they living right now? If they're, you know, living hand to mouth and, you know, they don't have a lot of reserves right now and they're, you know, concerned, you know, especially now, everything that's going on with this coronavirus, whether it's temporary or not, you know, it, it is a concern. And, what the reverse mortgage does is it it does help homeowners that are living in their home. So it's not good for rental properties. It's only good for homeowners that need to take cash out. And it's, I don't know if you remember the negative amortization mortgages in the past, but this is a very aggressive negative amortization mortgage. So it's going to eat up the equity quickly. And that's a major decision to consider. I mean, if it's something where it's very dire, their situation is dire and they really need 
to, you know, it's one of the last assets that they have left, then by all means, a reverse mortgage is definitely the way to go to unlock the equity in the home. They don't have to qualify, you know, based on income. There are credit qualifications, which I'm not able to really talk about that. I've never done a reverse mortgage, but I have studied them and I've spoken, you know, I've got friends that do reverse mortgages, but without going into the guidelines, A, you need to be over a certain age, usually it's 62. Second of all, B, you need to be living in the property. Third of all is there has to be enough equity in the property. So if there's a large loan on the property already, they may not be able to necessarily get a reverse mortgage. But, you know, again, if they, you know, call them in to me and ask to speak to me, I can refer them to one of our reverse mortgage specialists that's in the area. He lives, he's over in the East Bay and manages one of our offices. But it is an option for homeowners that are concerned and do need to get uh, equity out of the property. As far as, you know, how much are they going to get out? Again, I can't really go over guidelines, but if they have a, a free and clear property uh, where there's no lien on it, it's worth a million dollars, I'd say you know they're going to be able to get either a lump sum or maybe a certain amount per month, and it should last them for a while. You know, is it a hundred thousand? Is it a million? I'm going to say it's probably somewhere in between there. And again, you need to speak to a specialist to really you know see how it fits in your situation. A lot of times, you know, I would talk to you know people ahead of time to really understand what their situation is. They would call in and they'd talk to me, and they were under 62, so they didn't qualify. And neither you know the husband nor the wife were under were over 62, so they didn't qualify. Or they were calling on a rental property again that doesn't qualify. They just declared bankruptcy, and I wasn't quite sure if you know at the time. I think there were some issues, and they might not have qualified based on that. So I try to screen them ahead of time before you know before referring them over, just so it's not a, a waste of everybody's time, and you know just understanding why they think a reverse mortgage you know is good. There's a lot of misconceptions of what they are or aren't, and they've transitioned over the years. And again, I you know I don't know all the the current guidelines on them, but you know as far as a tool in the toolbox, that's definitely something to consider for the right situation. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's really only good like, as a second to last resort other than selling your house and should probably not be used as a replacement for a HELOC or cash out refi or something like that. Yeah. If they can qualify for a home equity line of credit or, you know, again, if it's a, a rental property and they qualify for one of these cash flow loans or investor loans, that could be a much better financial resource for them. The one thing that comes up is if they have heirs and they have not discussed it with the heirs about it, you know, it could be a hard conversation where, you know, they've already put the uh, private money, I mean, the reverse mortgage loan in place. And it's like, oh, yeah, we got a reverse mortgage. And sorry, I know you were expecting to get this house, you know, when we uh, go to heaven. But unfortunately, you know, it might not have any equity after, you know, after all is said and done if we live long enough. And it's like, oh, gee. So it's something, you know, you do want to have a conversation. If they get a home equity line of credit or a loan that's going to be retired and, you know, paid off in full, I mean, just, just like a home equity line of credit would be, that is going to be a better resource. It's also, you know, because the value of the property is, is you know, most likely go up over time. And so if the debt is going down and the value is going up, they'll have more equity for themselves or for their heirs going going on in the future. Yep. So I want to talk about current events. So right now, as of this recording, coronavirus is probably at its peak. I just say influence. Everyone's pretty scared. We're on lockdown here and there. Uh, just last night, the Fed cut 
the interest rates to almost zero. Yep. And I'm pretty sure there's a big misconception that if the Fed cuts interest rates to zero, our mortgage rates now zero. We just have to talk about that point. I only had seven people call me up today asking about that. And then the rest were, I had three emails about it as well. So that's a very common misconception. The Federal Reserve can only do a few things. They can print more money or they can control the overnight borrowing rate to other member banks. So the big banks out there, without mentioning names, they can go to the Federal Reserve discount window and borrow money. And what they're able to do is borrow at that, what's called the Fed funds rate, and they can borrow at that interest rate. Now, if you consider an overnight interest rate from the Federal Reserve to, you name, you know, Big Bank USA, and compare that to a five-year, that means, you know, not, not overnight, but a five-year loan or a 30-year loan, it's two completely separate things. And it doesn't necessarily go in lockstep. Now, if the Fed funds or the, you know, the discount rate drops, many times what will happen is the banks will drop their prime rate. Now, Wall, you know, common thing is to look at the Wall Street Journal prime rate. So if the Wall Street Journal prime rate drops, then uh, home equity lines of credit are affected by that because they're tied to prime. But then again, that's only if the big banks decide to drop the prime rate. Banks have a funny habit of when the Fed funds rate goes up, they raise their prime rate, right, immediately. Fed funds rate drops. They're very slow to drop the prime rate. And I don't know if they have dropped their prime rate. I haven't uh, tracked a good question. The home equity lines of credit and some I've heard other consumer credit items will be affected by it. But again, that's only if the Wall Street Journal prime rate drops. The other short-term interest rate is LIBOR. And if LIBOR drops, so Fed funds drop, will LIBOR drop? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But if that drops and the loan that somebody has currently is tied to LIBOR, now maybe they got a short-term three-year fixed or five-year fixed rate and it converts to LIBOR afterwards, as the LIBOR index drops, yes, their mortgage rate will drop. But again, that's only after the fixed period of you know three, five, or seven years. There are very few lenders out there that offer just a straight interest a mortgage based solely off the uh, the LIBOR rate. I'm not saying that there aren't out there, but there's very very few lenders that offer that. It's not. It's usually a loan that they are going to keep on their books, and usually isn't something that they're going to sell in the secondary market. So if mortgage rates aren't tied necessarily to the Fed rate, how are those numbers determined? Good question. So there's many securities and you know, if, if people were reading articles, they saw the article last night about how the uh, you know, Federal Reserve met and they're cutting their, uh, the Fed funds rate. May have also seen in the article that they were going to be on a, a buying regular amounts, billions of dollars of treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities. So the treasury securities, you can actually go to the U.S. Treasury and you know buy a treasury bill or treasury note. Mortgage-backed securities are what we look at in the mortgage business as the mortgage rates are tied to mortgage-backed securities generally. There's been a little bit of a disconnect with all the volatility going on. But in general, when you're not in the crazy times that we are now, if you look at the yields on mortgage-backed securities going up, you would see mortgage rates go up. If you saw the yields on mortgage-backed securities going down, the yields would go down. 
Now, what could be confusing is that they see, oh, the mortgage-backed securities are going down, so that means our rates go down. It's like, well, it all depends on whether you're talking about price or yield. Prior to mortgage banking, I was in investment banking and I traded and sold mortgage-backed securities for a living. And so they used to have this, it's like an airplane where, you know, when the treasury bond prices go up, the interest rates go down and vice versa. So if that helps you understand how it works or the mechanism is that prices and yields are working opposite. So as one goes up, the other goes down. So as mortgage-backed security prices go down in price, their interest rates go up. And what happened a few weeks ago was, you know, stocks were selling off and a lot of the money went out of the stock market and went into the bond market. And I'm put the, you know, the air quotes there. What do you mean by bonds? Well, it was treasury bonds, but it was also mortgage-backed security bonds. Oh, so when money goes into buying mortgage-backed security bonds, then the bond price would go up and the interest rate would go down, which is what happened two weeks ago. After that, there was you know, concern about, gee, maybe we should be selling these. They made profits, you know, then they sold off. And so we actually saw shortly after, maybe about a week ago, rates went back up. And right now, I'm going to say they're probably higher than, significantly higher you know, like 1% higher than where they were at the low. You know, I'm encouraging borrowers, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Can't guarantee it. If I knew, if I knew exactly what was going to happen, I wouldn't be doing this for a living, but you know, applying now, getting all your paperwork in, getting the appraisal done, because who knows how long it's going to take for the appraisals to get done. And with everything shutting down, who's going to be able to go outside and appraise a property and, and so forth. But, you know, to apply, get the loan process started and when rates drop, then lock in. So, again, we're hoping, you know, rates drop back down and, you know, people can lock in. But, you know, again, there's no guarantee of that. I've heard that some banks are actually kind of, quote unquote, like uh, unofficially, artificially inflating the interest rates because there's just so much demand. And because there's so much demand for these new, like either refinances or purchases, they can say, hey, look. We don't have that many people on our team to do these. So we're going to increase the interest rate and, you know, we'll just take it because people are willing to do it still. I might've mentioned before, I've been doing this for 30 years and that typically happens. It's not unique to the coronavirus or what we're going on, going through right now. Banks only have so much staff. And when I started in this business, there were only a couple pages in the loan application package. Now there's you know, 40, 50 pages that they have to go through. So with all this extra paperwork, all this extra checking and double checking, there's so many people that are involved with doing a loan. I mean, the consumer doesn't really understand that there's that many people that you know, have to get involved in this. There's only so much staff, whether they're sick or they're healthy, you know, many people are having to stay home, work, you know, and work from home. And as a result, even if you had everybody healthy and everybody working, if you have that much supply of loan applications, it's going to take longer to do them. I saw somewhere where last year it was about $2 trillion in home loans, and this year they're expecting $5 trillion in home loans. So that's two and a half times. I mean, I'd say the number, if it took you a month to do a loan last time, it might take two and a half months now to do the loan uh, or longer. So, uh, you know, for those you know people that have their loan application in, good for you. You know, just hang in there. 
I would not do a short-term lock unless the lender is completely through all their conditions. They reviewed everything, and now they're just waiting for you to decide whether to you know, lock into the interest rate. Now, if you locked in two weeks ago, you know, you got the, lo- the loan approved, you should be closing sometime soon, probably you know, closing in the next couple of weeks. So that's good for those you know, starting in the process. You know, the rates not might not be there. You know, maybe it makes sense just to, you know, start the process and lock later. But it is going to take longer to close loans. And it's just a law of supply and demand. The banks raise their rates to prevent more applications from coming in because they have plenty. Now, there's people out there that are buying real estate and they need a, a mortgage loan. Well, I'd say if it's a transaction that's going to close anytime soon, maybe something where you kind of have to bite the bullet and say, well, you know, buying this property, you can always renegotiate the interest rate when, when rates drop. You know, who knows what's going to happen to property prices that can, you cannot renegotiate, but an interest rate on a loan, if rates drop, you qualify, everything else is, is in place. You should be able to refinance into a lower interest rate. So if you have to take a, lo- a higher interest rate now, you know, I would say, uh, so be it and just wait for rates to drop and, you know, lock in that refinance sometime later. So if you lock the rate and interest rates do drop while you're still in the escrow period, are you allowed to go back to your lender and ask them to lower the rate to, uh, you know, I guess compensate for that difference? Sure. No problem. It's very common for there to be a renegotiation of rates. I've had clients that would lock in their rate and then they saw the, the Federal Reserve news and they said, oh, Federal Reserve dropped their rates. So therefore, I want you to you know drop my rate. That's like, well, if you locked in a rate with the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve dropped their rate, you should go back to them. I mean, obviously you can't, but there are renegotiation policies. Sometimes they will consider it but it's not a guarantee. I would say if you locked in just to give a, a number, if you locked in a rate of 5% and you saw rates drop to 4%, then I'd say you could probably renegotiate that rate. But if it's just dropped a quarter of a percent, even a half a percent, I would say it's unlikely the lender would renegotiate that rate lock. If it's anywhere from a half a percent to 1%, depending on the lender, they might. But again, what happens is that when you lock in a loan, whether it's a residential loan or you own apartment buildings and you work with an apartment building lender, they are going to have to buy a hedge and they hedge it. They're guaranteeing this. So they're going to buy a hedge and you know they will oftentimes buy a treasury security or buy some other investment vehicle to offset that. So when they're drawing up your loan papers, say they're locking in an interest rate for 30 days, they have bought a hedge for 30 days and it costs them money. So if you lock in a rate of 5% and now rates have dropped to 4%, they bought the hedge at 5%. And you know maybe now that rates are 4%, they might have made enough money on the hedge to be able to renegotiate and you know because they don't wanna lose the loan. But if it's a small amount, they may have already spent so much on the hedge to begin with that it's not worth, you know, relocking at a lower interest rate. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Like, I didn't know they they bought hedges against that. I just thought they had money in their bank, right? I did it for a living. And, you know, I, I had friends that were on the trading desk 
and they would work with you know some of these lenders of the past you know the countrywides and and all them and you know they had a trading desk and they were actively buying and selling treasury securities mortgage backed securities you know they would sell their mortgages into the market and then they, you know, if they were locking in loans, they were buying treasuries. So the secondary marketing or the trading desks of these bank lenders were very, very active in the uh, securities market, the, tr the bond markets. Nice. And can we talk about some of the activity that you're seeing and what are some of the trends that your clients are, are doing? Like, what are they kind of purchasing? What kind of financing are they getting for their properties? So, you know, a lot of clients are, they're buying investment properties now. You know, I've spoken to some of my investment property brokers and some of their clients were practically kissing their feet right now. You know, a lot of times it's like, you know, the, the realtor does their job and, you know, the transactions close. Oh, okay, great. You know, I had a good transaction and you know, I'm gl glad we did it. And they, you know, maybe go out for drinks and there's no, I don't want to say it's unemotional, but there's not a lot attached to it. It's like, okay, yeah, I spent, you know, in the Bay Area, you have million dollar properties that are just a thousand square feet. But there's hearing from some of my investment property brokers lately, the clients are very, very happy that they sold their securities before the market dropped. And they, you know, I had one the other day I spoke to and he said, you know, my client was so happy. He looked at his portfolio and, you know, calculated he would have lost a million dollars if he had not bought this building. He paid all cash for it. And, you know, so, you know, you might see, you know, while there's a lot of turbulence in the market, you know, price is going to go up or price is going to go down. And again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a financial advisor. I'm not trying to give advice on anything, but, you know, selling out of stocks and buying real estate, you know, if it makes you feel comfortable, your financial advisor who's managing your money, maybe they may say it's a great idea. Maybe they might not. But, you know, personally, if you're able to get out of the stock market, maybe you don't have, you know, the gains that you had before, but you have enough money to, to buy real estate, you know, buy an investment property. I mean, people have to live somewhere. They're either going to have to own the property or they're going to have to rent the property or they're going to have to move in with somebody who owns or rents. I mean, and I'm talking, you know, over the last 30 years, that's what I've seen. The couple that came to me you know, a while back, uh, they were retired and they were looking at the bank said, oh, you know, you, you're never going to qualify. You know, their financial advisor was not all that keen. They said, oh, you should just sell the investment property. You know, it's like because I think it was kind of at cross purposes. You know, I get the feeling the financial advisor probably wanted them to take the money out and put it with them so that they can manage it for them. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily right or wrong, but you know, we've seen over the years, a lot of people, wealthy people have made their money in real estate and, you know, real estate, there you know, was the saying, they're not making any more land. So not to say everything that you buy is going to turn to gold. You know, there's cyclical markets in, you know, securities and stocks and bonds, as we've seen, it goes up, it goes down. We've seen it in real estate, it goes up and goes down. My personal feeling, and I heard this a long time ago, is a, we're not going back to living in tents. So somebody has to live somewhere. And B is, you know, the securities can go to zero. Companies can go bankrupt and they can go to zero. But real estate so far, never seen that go to zero. I mean, you know, even if home burns to the ground, there's still the value of the land. The land's not going to disappear. 
So for the most part, I mean, there might be exceptions, but you know, for the most part, it's, it's a good asset. So I personally believe that, you know, real estate is a good investment. I mean, you should obviously be invested in other things. You need to talk to a financial advisor, but I mean, real estate, at least for people I know in the Bay area is a big part of their net worth. Yeah. And let's talk about some of the investor programs that your company has. I saw that your max amount of loans is 10 different properties, which is a lot. And I think that gets a little confused because some people think you can only get four rental properties. I've heard 10. What are the differences between, uh, I guess, getting four and getting 10? Yeah. So there's, you know, again, it depends on what type of loan that they're getting. And every, every loan has their different guidelines. Some will say uh, you can only have four financed properties. Well, you may own 10, but only four of them have loans on it. So that might be something that qualifies. But if you have 10 finance properties, you know, a lot of lenders have guidelines where, yeah, it does cut off after 10. There are some lenders out there that we work with that don't have that. You know, it's like, you know, an unlimited number where we're fine if they have, you know, more than 10 finance properties. And there's some people that own, uh, you know, portfolios of properties that are financed. And after a while, you know, maybe they assumed the loan or maybe there was something else. I'm not quite sure how they got beyond that, that 10 mark. There's not too many lenders out there that have an unlimited number of finance properties. There's a few, but there's not that many. It's not as if you can go to any lender in town and say, oh, I've got 20 rental properties. They're all financed and I hear rates are lower. I want to refinance all of them. Eh, you know, a, the guidelines for most of the lenders are going to be, you know, 10 finance properties. B, sometimes they might say, you know what, we have a maximum exposure and it may be a certain loan amount per client. In other words, they may say, oh, you know, we have a certain maximum that we're only going to lend out at one time so many millions of dollars to that one borrower, regardless of loan to value or credit score, how much money they have and so forth. They may still have that limitation. Do you want to talk about specifically like your investor access program from Caliber? Yeah, so that, you know, that was the program I mentioned before, the 30-year fixed rate. So, you know, clients that are concerned about, oh, well, I see that interest rates might be going up, you know, calling around and, you know, I, I see these other loan programs out there and they're, you know, quoting, you know, five-year or seven-year, you know, looks great, but gosh, you know, I own this investment property. I want to have a 30-year fixed rate. Not every lender offers a 30-year fixed rate. I know that we do. Single family homes, you know, we're, I imagine we're going to be expanding it out to two to four units, you know, sometime soon. That's a possibility. The maximum loan amount right now is a million. I foresee that going up. So, you know, those, you know, clients that, you know, want to get out more than a million, I'd say most of the requests I've had have been under a million, but, you know, sometimes there are requests for over a million. You know, they have, um, I can't remember the minimum credit score. Generally, they do require good credit. So if a borrower has under a 680 credit score, I believe, I, you know, that's going to be a, you know, a challenge. It's not impossible, but, you know, you can get financing. Usually there's going to be a premium associated with that, just like any other lender you go to. And it's like, oh, I have a, a 660 credit. It's like, oh, if you had a 680 credit, you know, we can get you a better rate. Now, for those borrowers out there that have had credit challenges, I do work with a credit restoration team, I refer clients over, seems like almost every week. And maybe it's just one hiccup on the credit report, maybe it's multiple hiccups. And so, you know, for those that might have some credit challenges, I can definitely put them in touch with this credit restoration team. They don't work for Caliber, but they're an outside resource that I use. And they're able to offer a discount on the sign up, and they there's no contract, it's per month. 
and it's pretty nominal. I've, I've worked with credit restoration, you know, folks over the years and this group worked with for probably the last eight years. And I think they do a fantastic job. Nice. I see here that you can also get up to 80% DTI. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's the way they're calculating the debt service coverage ratio is, you know, they've worked it out to where the, the loan to the, um, uh, debt to income ratio can be as high as 80%. So again, for those that, you know, where maybe, you know, the income is a challenge, you know, let me know, let me know what the situation is and, you know, we could definitely find the right program to fit within those guidelines. Is this considered a non-QM loan as well? Yeah. So Caliber Home Loans is one of their investors is a hedge fund and they have a whole suite of these loan products. Investor Access is one. They have a bank statement program. They have low down payment program for owner occupied properties. They have low credit score. They have you know other programs where there maybe is a lower credit score, but the borrowers are full income documentation. So there's, I think about six or seven different programs that they offer. And these are all called the non-qualified mortgages. And basically in a nutshell means these aren't necessarily going to be sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. These are loans where, you know, the rates don't drop very much. You know, I've had the call of, oh, well, gee, if I apply now and I get a Federal Reserve drops their rates, is this going to affect our interest rate? It doesn't work that way. The hedge fund basically will want to have a certain yield on their portfolio and the secondary market folks at Caliber Home Loans would be able to figure out, okay, this is how we can get that yield versus, you know, risk versus return. So this is how we're pricing out that loan. And so it's a chunk of money that goes out and they say, okay, based on this chunk of money that's going out, this is the yield that we want to get. Now that rates have dropped overall, we are dropping our rates a little bit. So it's not as if, oh, they, you know, it's the same rates I was quoting a month ago. They've dropped about a half a percent. So they are getting better. I've seen some people looking at the regular rates that we offer our portfolio. And as I mentioned before, rates were actually going up. So on some of these transactions, we can actually get a better deal through our portfolio group than our regular lending group. So just food for thought, it's nice having that type of flexibility and, you know, options to consider. And again, we're not concerned, you know, it, it doesn't matter to us which loan we get compensated the same way. So there's no difference. I know in the past, some of my loan officers that I know over the years, if they pushed the, the regular program, they got paid one compensation level, but if they got, you know, were offer the preferred program that the bank had or the savings and loan had, they'd get a bigger commission. There's no difference in the commission. It's the same. And, you know, many times clients get a zero point loan, which means the lender pays us the commission. So rates have dropped for the portfolio programs a little bit, which is good. Are they going to continue to go down? Who knows? But right now, as I said before, it is good to be able to offer, you know, it's not just one program. If you go to a bank, typically, you know, they're going to say, oh, you know, you either fit in the box or you don't fit in the box. With, with us, we have different boxes out there. And, you know, for different scenarios, we have different boxes. So they can get a variety of quotes on the same situation, you know, depending on, you know, what the variables are. Exactly. And because you guys are kind of like a more private bank, you are able to be more flexible and you have more options for your clients. 
Correct. Yeah, we technically we're what's called a, a mortgage bank. There's three ways you can get a loan. There's the retail bank where you know they collect deposits and then loan them out. So savings and loans, you can kind of think about it that way. They offer car loans and credit cards and business loans and all that. The second type is a mortgage broker where they are not the lender. They just are the matchmaker between the borrower and the lender. In between, there's what's called a mortgage bank. And what they do is they just do mortgages. They don't do anything else. They have a source of credit, source of capital, many times a warehouse line. And what they'll do is they'll lend off that warehouse line to create the loan. And maybe they keep it themselves or maybe they sell it off. Caliber Home Loans actually services a lot of loans. We sell off loans. So we may be underwriting it for a certain bank's guidelines, but we're also servicing quite a lot of loans. Is a warehouse line kind of like just a giant line of credit that you're able to pull to then give out loans? Exactly. Thanks for asking that. Warehouse line of credit is kind of as you as you think of it, you know, people say, well, you're loaning on a, a warehouse? What's in there? It's like, oh, lots of money. If you want to look at it as a warehouse of money, okay. But yes, it is a line of credit and it's secured by those loans. So if a loan is created and being used by that warehouse line to finance, but at the same time, if they're not able to sell that loan to that investor and it stays on the warehouse line, that's an issue. Worked for companies in the past where that was a major issue. Companies that have actually closed down because they had loans that they couldn't sell to the investors. If you're going to take you know a few nuggets away from this. One thing to consider is whoever the lender is, the bigger the lender, the better, because they are able to withstand you know, situations where you know if the loan can't be sold. Now, if you're a borrower, it doesn't matter. But if you're a loan officer, you typically want to work with a larger institution that isn't going to be subject to, you know, oh, there was a couple loans on the warehouse line. So now we lost our warehouse line of credit. Now we're not going to be able to loan out to borrowers. So that's more addressed to loan officers rather than borrowers or, or investors. Yeah, it's super interesting because as a consumer, we never think about how things work on the back end. So it's always cool to have this like glimpse of, oh, in reality, they're also borrowing the money to then lend out to you. Yeah. Very cool. I also see here that you said that there's no 4506-T. It's not required. What's a 4506-T? Yeah. What is that? So good question. So most loans that require tax returns, these are the traditional loans. What happens is the you know the borrowers submit the loan application and the lender says, oh, we need to have your tax returns. And in the past, the borrowers would look down at their tax returns and say, whoa, I forgot that I took a bunch of losses on here. And gee, it says I lost 100000 last year. Well, let me just get my liquid paper out and I'll just put liquid paper over that minus. And now I made 100000 and I'll send in their tax returns. Well, the lender usually catches it. They see the liquid paper or they kind of run through the numbers what they've decided to do is rather than even doing that, because sometimes people get more sophisticated and they actually are able to create their own tax return. What the 4506T is, it's actually a request for the transcript from the IRS. So, you know, most lenders out there are going to request a transcript of the tax returns. And so that's what a 4506T is. Now, the borrower has to sign off on the 4506T, usually during the loan process, where it allows the lender to go to the IRS and get the actual tra you know, transcripts so that the transcripts that they get from the IRS are going to match the tax returns. And, you know, like, oh, yes, they uh, provided us tax returns that they make 
$100,000 a year. And now we get the transcripts back and it says, oh, they make 100,000. Okay, great. These numbers match. Now they do look at other numbers on there. So if you, if it comes down to the same number, but some of the numbers in between are different. If you file in an amended tax return, if you're a borrower, make sure that you provide both tax returns to the lender, not only the original one, but the amended one. Because if they file the 4506T and they get different numbers back, they're going to ask some questions. That doesn't mean they're going to immediately decline the loan, but you're going to have to provide those tax returns that match up with the transcripts. That makes sense. It's kind of like when you're getting your first job and they require your transcripts from the school. You can't just give them a fake diploma. They're going to get them from the school itself. Oh, yeah. I went to Harvard. Yeah, exactly. I went to Harvard. got a 5.0 GPA, right? It worked in the movie any which way you can or catch me if you can. But yeah, it, it's the same thing. Yeah, they're, they're going to check up on you. They're going to get the transcripts. They did that in Parasite as well. Very good movie if you haven't seen it yet. Cool. All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Do you have any last tips for our listeners before we end our show? You know, I would say there's there are a lot of misconceptions out there. I've been doing this for 30 years. I would say if those that have any questions of, about the mortgage, if it's right for them, what are the options out there? Call me up. Guidelines are changing all the time. And, you know, what's today might not be tomorrow. I'm always amazed at, you know, all the new programs and guidelines and you know, that are coming out. So, you know, nothing is set in stone. So please feel free for you to reach out to me in case any questions come up, even if you think you might not qualify or, gosh, I've been turned down by every bank in town. Come to me because, you know, many times I might have a solution for you to get you from point A to point B. And how can people get in contact with you? So you can reach out to me. I'll give you my cell phone. That's the easiest way to reach me. It's uh, area code 415 two six zero nine three seven six and you'll get my voicemail and it says i'm returning calls at 10 12 2 and 4 and if you call me at uh, 2 30 i might not get back to you till 4 but you know so be it. it it helps prioritize my calls if it's after hours and i have time i'll definitely call you back of course you know the coronavirus i might not be doing that much these days so i might get back to you sooner rather than later not being able to uh, go to the gym or whatever Perfect. All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Sean, really appreciate your time and wish you all the best. Thanks again. Yep. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. There are tons of non-traditional loan programs out there. The best way to learn about them is to call a mortgage broker to see what your options are. They're going to help you find the perfect program that can work for your situation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.